I've got a man who's strong to the finish. I've got a Pope. I've got a Pope going back to where a Pope should be. A Pope at home. Hello there, welcome to Date Fight. It's the podcast where we take great moments from history and we pitch them against each other. We do indeed. He's Jake Yap, I'm Nat Tapley, and together we have taken two buses from the timetable of history and are comparing them to see which one turns up most entertainingly. Well, you don't want to get... Don't... The X isn't faster because it goes to the shopping centre. So just get the 36. Yes, essentially. Yeah. Jake goes around the housing estate, <laughs> but I go direct to the station, so... Let's do this. Round one! Round one! Right, I'm going to take you back to the 17th of January, oh. 1377, when Pope Gregory reached Rome. Yeah, so? Who so cares, Popes mate? live Move in on. Rome. That's where popes are. Yeah. <laughs> Pope, Rome, that's where popes go. Except for the fact that the popes hadn't been to Rome for the previous 74 years. Because in 1303, Pope Boniface VIII kept telling kings what to do. He kept he wrote a papal bull saying, it's necessary to salvation that every human creature be subject to the Roman pontiff. Mm-hmm. And kings obviously didn't like that very much. Particularly not Philip IV of France, he hated that. Um... In fact, he hated it so much that he wrote a letter back to the Pope saying, uh, your venerable conceitedness may know that we are nobody's Whoa. vassal in temporal matters. That's proper matters. mic drop. He said it in French, though, yeah. Your venerable conceitedness wow. yeah, may know we are nobody's vassal in temporal matters. Boom. Um, and just to prove his point, to make his point very clear, he got a, got a group of people together who went to the Pope's house and... Beat him up for three days! For three days? Three days of beatings. King Philip IV beat Pope Boniface VIII. I mean, I think having a Pope beaten up, that's quite something to put... That's, that should go on your CV. That, <laughs> disagree I with the Pope. the three-day so beating up of a Pope. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that. I would, I, I'd listen to that person. I think they've got something to say. And if I don't listen, they might have me beaten up for three days. Yeah, I'm an excellent team player. I also work on my own, and I do get Pope's Successfully organised the considerable beating of a pontiff. Yeah. Uh, I'll tell you what, his jaw wasn't infallible, was it? <laughs> After that, um, they went to have a conclave to have a new Pope, and he went, uh, no, I don't think you can sit in Rome and decide who the new Pope is. From now on, Popes live in France. And do any of you potential Popes want to disagree with me? Because look at your previous Pope who got beaten up for three days. Oh, I forgot to say, after the three days, he died! Oh. Um, well, it was about a month later, but it was he was still recovering. I mean, they were pretty. it was pretty directly connected to the three-day beating he'd suffered. A month later, Boniface VIII died, and then Philip IV said, OK, anyone else want to be, ki- be Pope? Because if you do, yeah. there are new rules. You live with me now and I tell you what to do. So the popes lived in Avignon for 74 years until Pope Gregory uh, decided to sneak off back to Rome. At which point, new popes popped up in Avignon saying, no, no, the ones who've run off back to Rome aren't the real popes now, we're the real popes. Of course. And we call them the anti-popes. So this was the beginning of the <laughs> Western Schism in on the 17th of January, 1377. I've always sort of thought of myself as the anti-pope, really. <laughs> Well, do you live in Avignon? Well, I've thought about it. Let's go to Avignon. Should we go to Avignon? Yeah. Yeah, let's go there. Are we going to live there? Oh, King Philip, the person who became Pope after Boniface VIII was just a friend of Philip IV's called Bertrand de Gaulle. Do you want to go? Uh, to go? Do you yeah. want to go? And Philip IV said to him, uh, oh, now, 
you should probably have a trial for that pope who accidentally died himself to death after being beaten. Um, yeah. Because I hear he was very heretical and a sodomite, so they had a trial for him after his death. Oh, right. Yeah. That's a lovely That's a lovely final touch of degradation, isn't it? I mean, Philip IV was keen on that, because I think we talked about him before. He was the one who organised getting rid of the Templars by accusing them of being heretics and sodomites. That was his key move. His, yeah. <laughs> if he didn't like you, you were very much a her- heretic and sodomite in <laughs> Philip IV's eyes. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm going to take you back to the 17th of January. Let's do the non-jolly one. 1977, 600 years on Mm. from yours. What happened then? Well, after 10 years of no capital punishment in the United States... Oh, yes, yeah. ..they decide to go back and have some. That's right. Because, uh, you know, retro's cool. It's kind of like the 90s now. (laughs) Everyone's We tried not killing everyone. Yeah, but we discovered... We got a certain something out of it. it uh, so uh, the yeah, guy, it didn't really... the guy who got killed was uh, Gary Gilmore. Yes, we had him in the death days. Oh, there uh, you go. Last month or the month before. Yeah, Gary Gilmore. Yes. Well, he was double murderer, Gary Gilmore. Yes, and he was executed by firing squad, which feels very old school. Like they didn't just go back to, mm. well, we're going to kill people, but like we're going to do it old school. <laughs> like let's beat them up for three days <laughs> and see what happens. Yeah. We're going to put them on the rack first. Oi, you, you everything? <laughs> you sort of right? Oh yeah. Any popes? You look like one man. No, I'm only no, joking. You're all right. Only joking. Firing squad. <laughs> it's extraordinary because prior to that, in 1972, there had been a case called Furman versus the state of Georgia, mm. and that had resulted in earlier death penalty statutes being deemed cruel and unusual punishments, mm. and therefore they weren't constitutional. Yes. And the Supreme Court had, after that, said uh, all states should commute death sentences to life imprisonment. I mean, that seems like that would fix it. But it seems it seems that Utah were like, nah, come on! <laughs> I've got a non-cruel and non-unusual... I mean, in some ways, cruel and unusual is a definition of any killing of any person. Yes. I mean, cruel, certainly. It? It's going to tick the cruel box. I mean, it's not it's not necessarily that unusual, depending on where you are and what's going on around you. Although I'd say if you... But it was unusual in 1977. It was definitely unusual. They hadn't done it for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, they hadn't done it for 10 It became more unusual the longer they didn't do it. Yeah. Before. Well, the thing was that after that, Utah had to come up with... Uh, new ways to do it in an unusual way. So they, the worst was... <laughs> Did they do a different one for each person? Oh, teaspoon no. took hours. Like, mm. you wouldn't believe it. <laughs> they have smothered by a clown. <laughs> I like to think of them thinking of more unusual ways for each person. Blamange. Yeah. Just elephants. Just a pile of elephants. <laughs> Hens. Right, let's have some birthdays. birthday to Peter Roger, whose thesaurus has been disappointing children by not being a dinosaur for centuries. <laughs> he also invented the slide rule. So in the song Don't Know Much About History, where he says he doesn't know what a slide rule is for, if it weren't for Peter Roger, he wouldn't even have to. <laughs> happy birthday, Peter Roger. <laughs> also, happy birthday to Daniel Williams, who performed the first open heart surgery. He was born today in Holidaysburg, Pennsylvania. Holidaysburg sounds fun, doesn't it? Yeah, let's go to Holidaysburg. It's probably awful. Let's not. It sounds like a euphemism. It sounds, I think if something's good, they don't have to call it Holidaysburg. <laughs> Calling Disneyland the most wonderful place on earth is only called that to disguise the fact that actually you can see that it's yeah. not really that nice. 
in places. Whereas if they called it Holidaysburg, I mean, you know, it was named after, <laughs> you know, traditionally places have been... I don't need to take a holiday. I feel like I'm on holiday every day in Yeah, I mean, places are called things like, you know, Dead Man's Gulch or Shallow Creek. Like, it's named after a thing. <laughs> Holidaysburg? Yeah. Or maybe it was a trap. Yeah, I think it is. Come to Holidaysburg. It, it seems too perfect to be true. Nothing could go wrong in Holidaysburg. Every day's a holiday in Holidaysburg. Shing! <laughs> <laughs> also, happy birthday to Samantha Mumba, uh, Irish dancer and actress. Um, who You're doing these ones for me. <laughs> you must have a story That's about Samantha very Mumba. Sweet of you. She seems very much in your era. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't big on her steps all the way. Uh, well, none of them were born today, unfortunately. So, uh, no birthdays to. Okay, steps. but let me know when they are, won't you? Yeah. You'll I let me Ian know. Alex right? Hawkins on the phone, okay. ready to dial in sweet. and tell you all about his birthday. Happy Death Day, Death Day to Rudyard Kipling, the snake describer and empire enthusiast who wrote the Just So stories and the Jungle Book. Uh, And If, which is just a long poem which no one needs to hear except at funerals. Well, the original draft was, um, if you're going up the garage, can you get me some silk cup? (laughs) That's the the best verse. Um, If you could get some pot noodles as well. (laughs) If you could get some toilet paper. Then my son, you'll be a man. Yeah. (laughs) Happy death day to Charles Ponzi, he of the scheme. One of his first jobs was working in a bank which offered 6%, which was twice as much interest as any other bank offered. Um, And when he was working there, he noticed that the way the bank worked was that the manager just took all the deposits and was paying the interest with the new deposits and then embezzling the rest and running off. Uh, And he ran off and disappeared completely. So that was his first experience of work in America when he immigrated. Um, He went to prison later on where he met Charles Moore, who was a Wall Street banker, who was there who showed him how to fake uh, having fits by eating the soap every morning so he could look like you were frothing at the mouth. Oh, my God. When he left prison, he became a nurse in a mining camp. Um... And he had an idea that he could start uh, a scheme to sell gas and water supplies to mining camps. But while he was there, another nurse needed a skin graft because they were caught in an explosion. And he gave them 14,000 cubic... No, sorry, 1,400 cubic centimetres of skin from his back to use. That's... Despite having never met Amazing. So Charles Charles Ponzi wasn't all bad. At least 1,400 centimetres cubed squared of him was pretty good. That's a lot of squared Um, centimetres. It is, isn't it? That seems like a lot. As a result of it... That's got to be a whole back, hasn't it? Yeah, it's got to be the back. That's a full back, I reckon. (laughs) Being a back area expert. (laughs) Um, As a result of it, he lost his job because he was in such ill health, having donated so much skin. Um, But then he came up with this idea, having noticed when someone sent him an international reply coupon that postage, you could redeem it for your local amount of postage. So someone had bought it in Italy, sent it to him, and of course postage in Italy in 1919 was much cheaper because the uh, lira had uh, collapsed. So they were paying very little, essentially, for the postage. Then they were sending the coupon to him, and he could redeem it for... um, Right. uh, to, to, To be sent locally. He could redeem it for sort of 20 cents worth of stamps, something they'd bought for a cent in Italy. He went, oh, well, this is obviously a great scheme. I can make lots of money doing this. So he went around to people, selling them. Um, If you invest $100, I will go and buy lots of stamps and international reply coupons in Italy, have them sent to me, and I'll redeem them in America. We can make 400% profits. It's going to be great. And for the first month, he did it, and it was okay. The second month, he did it, and he was paying with the people who'd paid... That month, he paid off people who'd... Oh, he was promising 100% return in 90 days... 
or a 50% return in 45 days. Right. And so he was having to pay off the people investing uh, with the new deposits because he worked out that actually you would need to be carrying whole mail ships uh, that with the volume he was dealing with. By July, he was bringing millions of dollars a week. Wow. And he would have to be bringing over whole mail ships full of nothing but international reply coupons. And he hadn't set up any system for actually buying them in Italy yet. So he was just essentially having to pay off everyone who'd invested ah. with the money that was coming in. And it collapsed and he went to jail. And that was the original Ponzi scheme. That's amazing. Yeah. I should have used him in some one of the competing bits, but he just yeah, died. Yeah, you should. So you happy absolutely threw that Charles one away. Ponzi. Look, I'm just going to say, vote for Nat. When it comes to voting online at the end of this podcast, vote for Nat, because that, that was an extra. That, that was a whole... Yeah. You, you weren't that. Also, happy birthday to Wilfred Bramble, who is Steptoe. Yes. One of those ones everyone has a go at. Yes, I'm sure we could do that for four or five minutes. We're yeah. running short today. Nope. Let's move on. Let's move on. Okay, I've got January the 17th, 1929. Mm. What happened then? Popeye the Sailor Man first appears in the Thimble Theatre comic strip. Uh, He was created by E.C. Seagar. So Thimble Theatre had been running for some time. Right. And uh, the main characters were the very thin olive oil. Uh uh, And her boyfriend, a man by the name of Harold Hamgravy. (laughs) 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 He sounds like my kind of guy. Yes, yeah. Uh, and it was a sort of comedy adventure thing. There was Olive and uh, Ham Gravy. And Olive had a brother. I don't Pleased to you... make your acquaintance, sir. It's Harold Ham Gravy. <laughs> Olive had a brother. I don't know if you knew this. Oh, I didn't. Uh, whose name was Caster. Caster Oil. Caster Oil, yep, OK. And uh, she had parents called Cole and Nana Oil. <laughs> Boiled in. So what do you think Popeye... Get what's the the sort of superhuman attribute that he gets, and how does he get it, Nat? Okay, he gets amazing strength from eating spinach. Not originally. Oh, what did he do originally? Originally, he got amazing luck Ooh. from rubbing the head of the Whiffle Hen. <laughs> <laughs> Not quite so iconic. No wonder he's got those big arm muscles. Yeah. Uh, I spent most of my teenage years rubbing the head of my Whiffle Hen. Yeah, don't bring me any luck. The head of your Whiffle Hen because of lesions. Seagar was amazing. He 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 decided he wanted to be a cartoonist when he was eighteen, and he took mm. a correspondence course in it mm. from W. L. Evans in Ohio. And he would he'd go to work, and uh, then he'd work till three a.m. on on the course, and it worked. He only wow. lived to be forty three, sadly. By the way, you know spinach. You know how it's got like loads of iron in it. Yes. No, it doesn't. <gasps> what does it have? Just green. Is it just greenness? It has got iron in it. But yeah. uh, it was there was a study done, I can't remember when, in Germany yeah. with the amounts of iron in vegetables. Right. And there was one, during the translation of it, someone put the decimal point in the wrong place, <gasps> leading everyone to conclude that spinach had ten times the iron in it that it does. Spinach is a liar. Spinach is a dirty liar. Well... I feel cheated. And it's also got a lot of oxalic acid in it, which means you should only eat it once a week, apparently. Oh, well, I mean, even that... Yep, OK, that's fair enough. So much for the Spanakopita nuts and Popeye. <laughs> <laughs> so, in in Popeye, yeah. Sweepy is the... Ba- is Sweepy actually his son? Do he, it's, is it, that, it, do, are Olive Oil and he married? Or is this is any of this defined? Or is it just sort of... There's a baby, which is probably theirs. I don't know. I mean, they were really raving. Those early cartoons were, like, the Mm. comic strips were quite mad and very surreal. Alice the Goon was bizarre. And, like, 
they were very kind of quite creepy, I think. I must go, but let's revisit them. Let's do a whole special. They're worth revisiting. They're, they're properly creepy. Excellent. That's my afternoon sorted. Ha <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to take you to the 17th of January, 1562, when France... Oh, I'm doing a lot of France today. France recognises Huguenots in the Edict of Saint-Germain. So the Huguenots were France's Protestants, and until 1562 they hadn't been recognised at all by the state. Um, and in 1562, France decided that it was... Okay to notice that there were Protestants in your country. Um, they swiftly followed that up in 1572 with the St Bartholomew's Day massacre, in which they decided to kill all the Protestants in the country. Oh wow! Between five and thirty thousand were left dead. The leaders of the Huguenots were killed, and lots of Huguenots started emigrating. I mean, I know today we like to get wound up about identity politics, but essentially the 16th and 17th centuries are just 200 years of trying to genocide anyone who is different to you. That's Darwinism. (laughs) Yeah. Woke snowflakes chopped off Archbishop's Lord head just because they can't bear mass. (laughs) Well. I've made the Catholics into (laughs) Piers Morgan for some reason. (laughs) Sorry, Catholics. That's just the law. You're Piers Morgan. Um, Anyway, so in 1685, with the revocation of the Edict of Nantes, um, the Huguenots were starting, uh, were forcibly converted to Catholicism, leading to 50 to 80,000 Huguenots moving to England, which is why Spitalfields looks so much nicer than lots of the rest of the East End, because they brought um, their textile manufacturing, they brought silk manufacturing, lace manufacturing, watchmaking, and of course, they gave us Nigel Farage. <laughs> Thank you, Huguenots. <laughs> And thank you the 17th century and 16th century for just being such a mad time full of... In this country, we seem to sort of... It was a bit quaint that we had priest holes and yeah. the gunpowder plot. When actually you're talking about people having to hide from yeah. death squads and, you know, an attempted assassination of all of the people in government at the time. Yes, how quaint, so we think. How quaint. slightly yeah. less picturesque than... <laughs> oh, we've got a priest hole. Oh, do you? Can I have a look? Can I have a get in? <laughs> Get out of my priest hole. <laughs> That's just for priests. Oh, I thought there was a priest hole on Hampstead Heath. <laughs> Popeye. Wow. Olive oil and priest's hole. <laughs> what a day in history. Pop holes and priest's eyes. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But which bits of it were the best? It's your turn to decide. It was the beating up of Boniface. The, we yeah, well, no, it was, it, was the, it was the one you did in the death days, let's be honest. Oh, the Ponzi scheme. Yeah. Charles Ponzi. Uh, go and vote for Nat. Uh, you can uh, vote for him at date underscore fight on Twitter. Or at facebook.com uh, forward slash date fight. Just occurs me Charles Ponzi, should, we yeah. should do a single about him in which he's called The Ponds. And he lives above e. E, The Ponds. That's as far as I've got with it. I mean, there's no... <laughs> let's not do that. See you tomorrow. <laughs> but think about that thing on that. <laughs> Bye. Uh, Bye. Bye.